Welcome back, folks. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. We're here to give you part three of Lord of the Rings and Fellowship of the Ring today. I know last week we covered chapter six through chapter ten, and then this week we're going to be covering chapter eleven through chapter fifteen. Got some great stuff on deck. Really excited to jump into it. Before we do, though, turn the floor over to Chase, say a couple words, and then we'll give a quick recap of what we did last week and jump into what we're doing this week. Finally getting into some action here, man. It's about time. We're on the slow train for a while, and now we're, you know, we're picking up speed. Picking up speed. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Boom! (laughs) Let's go, man. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring Part 3. Let's dive into it. Sounds good, man. Let's raise our glasses in the air. Cheers to both of us here. And uh, it also, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do a little uh, selfish self-praise here and say that this past week was my 30th birthday, so happy birthday to me. <laughs> and uh, feeling old, not happy about leaving the 20s, but you know, people have been saying nice things about the 30s, so maybe they aren't as bad as they're cracked up to be. So uh, cheers, man, and uh, we'll dive into this thing. Cheers, brother. Happy birthday. Man, you know what's funny is I meant to say that <laughs> right before the show started, but you know, Jay Nelly does all the introductions, so of course, <laughs> all I was thinking about was L-O-T-R, but that's because we uh, did a lot of celebrations. Like, it was like a, what do we do, like a six-day celebration for the big 3-0, man? Yeah. Yeah, tell them about that real quick before we get started. Sure. I mean, dude, like, you're not wrong. We did four days consecutively in a row. We did like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday deal. And then after that, we had like the, the Tuesday, which is the day of my birthday, the uh, 29th. And we went to uh, Disney World. We went around Epcot, drank around the world. My mom came down and uh, she flew down from New York. That's where I'm from. And her birthday is actually uh, yesterday. It's actually cool. So uh, her 50th was yesterday. My 30th was Tuesday, and so we got to do joint celebrations, and Chase got uh, to join us, go around the world there, drinking all the uh, nice little beverages at the different pavilions, and we had a great time. And then uh, we went out on Thursday to do a death to the 20s party, dressed in all black, to funeral attire. It was pretty dope, so you're right. Overall, it was like six days of just chaos, uh, but you know we're, we're, we're winding down from that now. We've got to accept the fact that 30s here and yeah that's about it man <laughs> man dirty 30 some people say 30s to the new 20 though i guess uh i guess we'll find out <laughs> i guess we'll find out but uh, uh no worries man i'll let you take it away but yeah everyone wish jay nelly a happy birthday on facebook all that good stuff on social media we always go over on the end but i'll let jay nelly go ahead and take away the recap let him drive the show today with the big 3-0? <laughs> Let's go, man. Let's make it happen. Malice in the chalice, brother. Cheers to you. Cheers to me. I'll let you say the rest of the speech because I always forget the toast. <laughs> the best of friends will always be. And if by chance you disagree, then fuck you. Here's to me. <laughs> <laughs> Malice in the chalice, brother. Cheers, my man. Appreciate it. Appreciate the love, everybody. All right, so what I'm going to do, guys, I'm going to give everyone a quick recap of what we covered last week in case this is your first time joining us or if you, you know, just haven't remembered since it's been a week. You know, it always happens sometimes. But, uh, yeah, we kind of went through the, the first, you know, chapter 6 through chapter 10 where we jumped into the old forest. We saw a lot of things kind of go down in there. Uh, the forest kind of closed in on them a bit. kind of seemed like the forest was alive and against them trying to stop them. And you know, almost one of the, the old man willow tree almost killed them. Then we had this 
wild guy who's going to make a brief appearance. He's not going to make an appearance, but they're going to reference him today. Uh, good old Tom Bombadil uh, saved our hobbits, took him to his house, and we got to see some crazy things about Tom Bombadil, how he could put the Ring of Power on, not disappear. doesn't seem to have any sort of effect on, on him at all. Uh, very curious fellow. He, like, sings the things, and the forest just kind of does what his songs tell them to do. It's a, he's a very interesting character. We dove a little bit into him, you know, towards the end and some of the debate side of stuff. Uh, you know, from there, he got them out of the old forest after they almost got killed by the Barrow Whites when, yeah, and, and the Barrow Downs that they shouldn't have been in. After he told them to avoid that, they got themselves uh, in that little mess there. And, you know, from there, uh, he ended up escorting them out all the way to the road and told them to get to the end of the Prancing Pony. They got to the end of the Prancing Pony, and, you know, Mary, uh, yeah, Mary goes off on his own, and Pippin goes downstairs and starts causing a commotion, wanting to be the center of attention, starts giving away information that he shouldn't be giving away, and eventually, uh, you know, Frodo meets this strange character named Strider in the back corner, and Strider's like, hey, you gotta stop your friend from talking way too much, and so Frodo starts singing and dancing on the table, then he slips and falls, and the ring hits his hand, and uh, the ring goes on his finger and his hand, he disappears, and everyone freaks out about that, and so I was like, well, you're an idiot, because that was actually worse than anything that he could have said, so you guys kind of screwed there, uh, now we've got a problem, so they kind of regroup in the little common room up above, uh, then the bartender, uh, Barlaman Butterbur, comes up, gives them a letter from Gandalf, so he totally forgot about it, and that letter could have really saved a lot of uh, headache for everybody. Uh, yeah, and, you know, from there, they said they, there's, uh, the, the Black Riders were down the road there, Mary comes back in, said, like, he got hit with, like, their black breath, he became unconscious, and uh, Nob is the one that found him, and they ran back to the, in the Prancing Pony, and now they're on high alert, and they, like, kind of put disguises in other beds, and are just sort of waiting out the night and that is kind of where well and also we kind of hear a quick little foreshadow as well about Aragorn and how like the the broken sword will be remade and the king will sit the throne again and so that was kind of cool to get that little excerpt and that was kind of where we really left off and now we are going to jump into chapter 11 which is called a knife in the dark and for me some of the big takeaways I had from here is that everything is starting to come to a head, right? So we, it starts off talking back at Crick Hollow, which is, the, if you guys remember, is the house that Frodo bought uh, after he moved out of Bag End. And they decided that they were going to buy that to make it seem that he was like running out of money. And that's why he sold Bag End and went to Crick Hollow for like a more humble living. When in reality, it was to kind of throw everyone off the trail. Uh, well, it seems like the Black Riders got the trail because they show up at that spot where like Fredegar Bolger, or they call him Fatty Bolger, is. And they basically break down the door <laughs> looking for Frodo. And uh, I thought it was kind of cool here is that he had enough sense to run. It said, like, like the next house is no more than a mile away. Uh, you know, that's which kind of is crazy to me if I think about it. Uh, you know, from the time that these ring... Well, I guess we could just call them Black Riders right now. We'll, we'll talk about that other name I was about to give them in a second. Uh, but these Black Riders, from the time they went to the gate to the front door, uh, usually if you run a mile quickly... You know, you're looking at like six minutes and 45 seconds if you're pretty fast. You know, these hobbits got small little legs, so unless they're like the quickest things ever, I don't know how you can get from uh, your place to the next house a mile down the road in six minutes without getting caught by these black riders. But okay, you know, whatever. We'll we'll take it on the chin. And you know, but then they start ringing the alarm and quick calling. Uh, you know what, what I thought was kind of interesting too is we see the alarms. Well, we read that the alarms go off. 
And to me, it's almost like these Black Riders, they shouldn't have even been worried. They, they could have brought every single Hobbit in the Shire to fight these things, and they could have killed them all. But it's like they wanted to kind of keep a low profile still. You know, they just want, they didn't want to have to deal with, like, the, the inconvenience of dealing with the Hobbits. So they just decide to, to run away. Like, hey, the guy that we're looking for is not here. Like, there's no sense in sticking around, like, causing this commotion and having this whole thing. So let's just, you know, get the heck out of here. Uh, and then we kind of get back to the end of the Prancing Pony, and they go and see the bedrooms that they're, they were supposed to sleep in that night, and they see that it was all, like, cut up, and, like, the windows was forced open, and so, you know, they have to kind of lean on Strider, who Sam still, to this point, doesn't really trust fully. And, you know, neither does the bartender, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but they wake up, and they find that all their ponies are gone, and they, they've got no way to get out of there. Like, Strider wanted to leave, like, first thing in the morning to kind of escape notice. But because the Black Riders came in and forced it and, they, they, you know, they set all the animals free, they, uh, they really had to delay. And it kind of screws them for what happens in a couple, like, I guess, next chapter. But, you know, from there, uh, the, the, the bartender kind of feels bad about it, gives them... It pays for a, the new horse called Bill, which is like that bad guy Bill Fernie's horse. Like Sam ends up calling this this pony Bill, and they've got one pony now to carry all their stuff. And outside of that, they're just on foot, four hobbits and a ranger that you know we don't know too much about just yet. And they start making their way finally out of the out of Bree, which you know the end of the Prancing Ponies in Bree, and they need to take to the road. And they was saying like everyone's kind of like looking at them, making like it was a big commotion because stuff hasn't happened like that in Bree in such a long time that you know people like were following them out to the road, and it was just super uncomfortable. Uh, what's also pretty cool too is if we did find out in one of the pages that the horses, Mary's horses that he had, or the ponies, I guess I could say, they actually found Tom Bombadil back in the old forest, and Tom Bombadil like fed them and, and brought them back to uh, Mr. Butterbur. And, and he ended up making a profit. Instead of like losing the 18 silvers, he ended up making a profit off it, even though he didn't know it in the time. It was cool that, that, that the horses thought that that was the best way to do is go back that way. And, you know, Tom took care of them. And, you know, I thought that was, that was pretty cool. But outside of that, really the remainder of this chapter is all of them mainly walking and trying to go off like the trail <laughs> and, you know, get to the, the halfway point, which was called Weathertop. Um, you know that they were walking towards it, and you know they had the, the little different conversations along the way, and you know they talked a little bit about the the Elven King Gilgalad and all that. And there's just like one part in here I thought was really cool when Strider was sitting there telling them stories, and it ended up being for me, yeah, you know, uh, on page 218. I know everyone's got different books, so you know the 218 is on the paperback one that I have. Uh, it talks a little bit about. Sauron's beginnings in in a way so I'm just going to kind of read this passage real quick he said um, as the stars above the mists of the northern lands was her loveliness and her face a shining light in those days the great enemy of whom Sauron of Mordor was but a servant dwelt in Angbad in the north and the elves of the west coming back to Middle Earth made war upon him to regain the Silmarils which he had stolen and the fathers of men aided the elves. So there's two big things in that passage to me that really stick out. Number one, the great enemy. Like, Sauron is now the big enemy, the big bad guy in this story, in this age. But back then, he was just a servant of the great enemy. 
So like, how bad was this guy ahead of time? And then that's the first thing I took away from that. And the second thing was when something very interesting when he says that they they made war upon him to regain the Silmarils. And that, if you guys know, that is a reference to uh, another novel called The Silmarillion. So it's pretty cool that that's uh, you know it's very easy to miss if you're reading through it and just kind of going through because I do get it like some of these chapters and pages can seem to drag at times and you know it can kind of catch you off guard when there's quick little references that are important to either other pieces of work or the, the you know the plot of the storyline so that was definitely one thing I wanted to mention as well and then uh, yeah then we we get to the point at this chapter we get towards the last page where the black rider like, they end up getting to weather top the halfway point black riders end up surrounding them and frodo thinks that he's got to put on the ring it's got this big force on him and he's trying to resist it the best he can but he can't resist it and he puts on the ring and disappears and that is kind of how the chapter ends there uh well i guess <laughs> there's kind guess, of a big yeah, there's part a, here you missed well <laughs> here's the thing it's like i i didn't want to i guess yeah because like yeah i guess i could say it so like he swung out first he called out the elves the two names of two elves and apparently that you know was important with of what how he was able to get a certain wound uh in one area and not another area so he was stabbed uh by this knife from one of the black riders what is also cool too is it says like when uh he put the ring on he could actually see the black riders like underneath their cloak and I, yeah. I did, and this is just a quick reference to the movie. I also I thought they did a cool job with that and like showing like the shadowy white white esque figures with like the crowns on it as the nine kings of men that were taken uh, with the you know underneath the control of Sauron. So I thought that was pretty cool what the movie did. But it's still it's kind of like they, they kind of took it directly from the novels here and uh, they, like Frodo swipe like hit the the one black rider in the leg or like by his legs with his sword when he had called out the two elven names. And that little moment caused the Black Rider some sort of pain, but you know, it stopped him from catching Frodo in the heart with the knife, and it ended up, you know, piercing his shoulder. And that's when he like fell down, dropped his sword, and like pulled off the ring. And now we're left with Frodo on the ground with this like wound in his shoulder that we'll learn more about in the next chapters. But those are kind of the biggest things and the biggest moments that I took away from that chapter. What do you have to add to that, bro? Yeah, man, that was great. Uh, just a few things. Um, we don't know who it is yet, but when they get to Weathertop, which is where they were trying to make their way to for part of their journey, just to get a view of the area to try to get to where their ultimate destination is, they do. there is a sign there that says G3, and they're wondering who it's from, and that plays a big part later on, so just keep that in mind. Also, one thing that kind of stuck out to me, it's not that important, but it's just the second paragraph of 202, or uh, second in my book, uh, and then it goes to the fourth, but I'm just going to read the fourth paragraph here because it's just one sentence. But the important thing is, is Strider, Aragorn, is telling them that the Black Riders uh, fear fire, uh, which really shows a weakness there that I think is important. And he says, Strider laid his hand on his shoulder, there's still hope, he said. You are not alone. Let us take this wood and is set ready for the fire as a sign. There's a little shelter of defense here, but fire shall serve for both. Sauron can put fire to his evil uses, as he can all things. But these riders do not love it and fear those who wield it. Fire is our friend in the wilderness. And that's important because you experience 
the reason it's important it's a small little mention but we see fire used a lot uh, throughout this series of Lord of the Rings so I wanted to bring that up there um, not much more I think you nailed everything exactly uh, I do think I do kind of want to read like how he got stabbed I thought it was kind of cool just the way it was played out just like you said it's just on page 207 in my book the second edition uh, probably pretty close in yours but it's just one page here um, but I thought this part was really awesome really uh, but it says so Sam and Mary got up and walked away from the fire Frodo and Pippin remained seated in silence Strider was watching the moonlight on the hill intently all seemed quiet and still for Frodo felt a cold dread creeping over his heart now that Strider was no longer speaking he huddled closer to the fire and at that moment Sam came running back from the edge of the dell I don't know what it is he said but I suddenly felt afraid I didn't go outside this dell for any money. I felt something was creeping up the slope. Did you see anything? asked Frodo, springing up to his feet. No, sir, I saw nothing. But I didn't stop to look. I saw something, said Mary. Or I thought I did, away westwards, where the moonlight was falling on the flats beyond the shadow of the hilltops. I thought there were two or three black shapes. They seemed to keep moving this way. Keep close to the fire, with your faces outward, cried Strider. Get some of the longer sticks ready in your hands. For a breathless time, they sat there, silent and alert, with their backs turned to the wood fire, each gazing into the shadows that were encircling them. Nothing happened. There was no sound or movement in sight. Frodo stirred, feeling that he was breaking the silence. He longed to shout out loud. Hush, whispered Strider. What's that? gasped Pippin at the same moment. Over the lip of the little dell on the side away from the hill, they felt rather than saw a shadow rise. One shadow, or more than one. They strained their eyes and the shadow seemed to grow. Soon there can no doubt there were four tall black figures were standing there on the slope, looking down on them. So black were they that they seemed like black holes in the deep shade behind them. Frodo thought that he heard a faint hiss as a venomous breath felt the piercing chill, then the shape slowly advanced. Terror overcame Pippin and Merry, and they threw themselves flat on the ground. Sam shrank to Frodo's side. Frodo was hardly less terrified than his companions. He was quaking as if he was bitter cold, but the terror was swallowed up in the sudden temptation to put on the ring. The desire to do laid hold of him. He could think of nothing else. He did not forget the borrow nor the message of Gandalf, but something seemed to be compelling him to disregard all warnings, and he longed to yield. Not with the hope of escape or of doing anything, either good or bad, he simply felt that he must take the ring and put it on his finger. He could not speak. He felt Sam looking at him as if he knew his master was in some great trouble, but he could not turn towards him. He shut his eyes and struggled for a while, but resistance became unbearable, and at last he slowly drew out the chain and slipped the ring on the forefinger of his left hand. Immediately, though, everything else remained as before. Dim and dark, the shapes became terribly clear. He was able to see beneath their black wrappings. There were five tall figures, two standing on the lip of the dell, three advancing, and their white faces burned keen and merciless eyes. Under their mantles were long gray robes, upon the gray hairs were helms of silver, in their haggard hands were swords of steel. Their eyes fell on him and pierced him as they rushed towards him. Desperate, he drew his own sword, and it seemed to him that it flickered red, as if it was a firebrand. Two of those figures halted. The third was taller than the others. 
His hair was long and gleaming, and on his helm was a crown. In one hand he held a long sword, and in the other a knife. Both the knife and the hand that he held, it glowed with a pale light. He sprang forward and bore down on Frodo. At that moment, Frodo threw himself forward on the ground, and he heard himself crying out loud, O oh, Elberth! Gilthaniel! At the same time, he struck at the feet of his enemy. A shrill cry rang out in the night, and he felt the pain like a dark poison ice pierce his left shoulder. Even as he swooned, he caught as the swirling mist of a glimpse of Strider leaping out of the darkness with a flaming brand of wood in either hand. With the last effort, Frodo dropping his sword slipped the ring from his finger and closed his right hand tight upon it. So, it's not that important, but I just thought it's a really cool action scene I wanted to mention. So, you know, I'm like the action scene story guy. Uh, so, just that, those were my only takeaways there. And yeah, I'll let you take away the next chapter. Cool. Uh, to kind of get into the next one here, chapter 12, <clears throat> Flight to the Ford. Uh, the, the biggest things that I kind of took away from this is that, as I was mentioning in the previous chapter, Sam doesn't fully trust Strider yet. He, like, even after this whole thing of Strider getting them away, the Black Riders away from Frodo, he was gone for a little bit, and Sam started to wonder if, you know, they were just going to leave him there to die, and he came back, and he had to <clears throat> tell Sam, this is just on the, the first page of that chapter, like, I am not a Black Rider, Sam, nor in league with them. I have been trying to discover something of their movements, but I have found nothing. I cannot think why they have gone and do not attack again, but there is no feeling of their presence anywhere at hand. And <clears throat> I think that's pretty important there because there's some sort of tactic being played. So we stabbed Frodo, and then they just disappeared. If all nine of them came at the same time and regrouped and went for them again, it's very, very unlikely to believe that they survived that encounter, talking about Frodo, the hobbits, and Strider. Like, Frodo obviously can't help anybody. He's, like, wounded on the ground. His arm's, like, numb, not... There's no feeling in it. It's, it's like, ice cold, it's said in there. And, you know, Sam, he can't really do much. You know, they're, they're hobbits. Merry and Pippin aren't any warriors. And Strider, the only one that can fight, you can't fight nine-on-one, man. Like, it's not gonna work. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> that's the whole thing, is that what the heck is going on? Like, there, there's some sort of, like, chess match being played right now, and they're trying to figure out, or at least Strider's trying to figure out, like, where the heck is these Black Riders gone? Like, they kind of have us on the ropes here, and it has me more uneasy than if they did all come at us at once. Like, I don't know what's going on. And so, to kind of go through there, Sam is kind of really worried about Frodo and wondering if his wound is, is going to kill him. And Strider tries to tell him that, hey, like, everyone that I've met that knows Frodo said he says he's made of strong stuff, man. He he might be able to resist the evil longer than you think, like the the evil of the blade. So uh, then we kind of go forward there, and from this, it's more of the same sort of trying to find the right paths, traveling along the right areas to get to, you know, avoiding the main road while also like following along it. They even get to a point where they actually had to make their way back a little bit because they had gone too far in a certain direction. And which is, you know, for me, that was kind of interesting because Strider is one of the best rangers that we come to know in this novel series. And to me, you would have, he would have been able to figure that out, but maybe he was going into areas he didn't really know because he was very concerned that they were being pursued by the Black Riders, even though he couldn't feel their presence anywhere near. So that, that's something interesting that I thought. Also, one other thing cool too, and uh, we get to see it, in the films, 
is Strider went to go find a certain plant. And this certain plant is supposed to kind of help take away the, the pain and poisons of certain wounds. And so he, he found that it's called um, Athelus. And so it grows only sparsely in near places where the old men of the West used to be you know, living. And uh, it, it has great virtues, but they're kind of concerned that the healing powers of it may not be as effective in, in one of these type of wounds that's such an evil wound. So uh, they start making their way, like I said, keep going through their little role, like traveling on the, <laughs> the paths of whatever they can find. They get to a point, like I said, that they go too far in one direction, have to double back down. And all this, and the reason why I'm bringing this up, because it's supposed to be a 12-day ride for just Strider alone to make it from Weathertop to uh, Rivendell. And he tells them, with you guys, like as hobbits and you know, Frodo being injured, it's not going to take anything less than 14 days. They say a fortnight, and fortnight is two weeks. And so every kind of delay is bringing Frodo closer and closer to death. Or to an even worse fate, actually. We're going to learn to kind of, you know, about that as well. So as uh, as they do that, they actually come across an old uh, troll cave. And thought this was kind of cool, because this kind of uh, has some reference to past works as well. And Merry and Pippin kind of freak out a bit. And they're like, hey, hey like, we found the trolls. Like, they're down there, they're down there. And, you know, Strider's not too concerned about it. And from when I was reading, I was like, man, he just, you know, he's very confident in himself. But the whole thing was, it ended up being uh, stone trolls. And he actually, he's like, wake up, you old stone. It hits the, the troll with a stick, and everyone kind of freaks out. Like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. But it ended up being, like, those are actually the, the trolls that Gandalf froze in stone back in The Hobbit when he saved uh, Bilbo and uh, the 12 dwarves when they were on that, that quest uh, in, in back in that piece of literature. So I thought that was pretty cool. We get a little full circle moment. Where they're all there, and Gandalf... It shows a little bit of Gandalf's power, too. To, to turn three full-size grown trolls into stone. That's it's pretty impressive. <laughs> and then, <laughs> after the, the whole troll ordeal, and Sam singing like the troll song, the next thing we kind of get, and I think that... This is really cool, too, actually. This is, uh, this is after the troll song that Sam sings. Uh, Frodo says, It's out of his own head, of course. I am learning a lot about Sam Gamgee on this journey. First he was a conspirator, now he's a jester. He'll end up becoming a wizard or a warrior by the end. And he says, I hope not, said Sam. I don't want to be neither. And I think that's kind of interesting because it kind of really foreshadows. I, I think Sam displays certain uh, abilities later on in the series that maybe, you know, not, not the wizard side of things, but you can consider him maybe someone, uh, maybe more of a warrior than he thinks he really is. So I'll just put that out there. Then uh, we get a really cool moment here. I know this is a, one of the Chase's favorite parts in this chapter. We get a nice little uh, clickety clap of horse hooves. And at first I think it's Black Riders, but it's actually not Black Riders. It's uh, a really cool elf. And we'll learn a little bit more about him and actually his importance because he is a prominent elf, believe it or not. His name is Glorfindel. And uh, he has been sent by Elrond from Rivendell nine days ago to try to intercept them along the way to get them to Rivendell safely. And, and this is the part I kind of skipped over because I didn't think it was much importance, but I think I'll touch on it now, is that when they went to that bridge that they were taught, thought they were going to cross and they were worried that the Black Riders would hold the bridge against them and they would have to get through the Black Riders to go across the bridge, uh, there was no Black Riders there, but there was like a little, little gemstone, like an emerald gemstone. 
and uh, like that that was a sign from Glorfindel, and he even tells him like, yeah, I left you as a little like sign, and I figured you'd find it, being like the ranger that you are, and you know like the bridge was safe to cross, and so that that little mystery was solved uh, about the the gemstone that Strider found, and then basically from here it's they get a nice little uh, <laughs> escort by Glorfindel from where they're at through the rest of the the ford the fight to the ford to get to rivendell and the, one of the part, cool parts here is that his horse is obviously way better than any of the other horses that come into play in just a second that i'm going to talk about uh but they, he makes frodo get on it and frodo's like hey i'm not leaving my friends behind and gorfindel tells him that your friends aren't in danger if you're elsewhere they're only chasing you they're actually safer if you're gone buddy so you're getting on this horse you're gonna get on this horse and you're gonna go <laughs> and so uh uh, anyways, they, finally we get the where the rest of the Black Riders, what they were doing, there was an ambush. So they did have a plan to intercept them before the Ford, and they got four chasing them from behind. They've got two coming from one direction, two coming from another, and the other, like, like whatever, like, remaining ones are kind of in the front there making sure they can stop him. And this elf's horse is so damn awesome and fast, and just, it just bolts through it like, like a bolt of lightning and, and, and flies to the other side of the Ford before Frodo even kind of knows what's happening. He kind of kept his head down. And he saw like everything kind of coming in and closing in around him and he put his head down and it he flew right past him and into the water across the, the way. And the, the black riders, like they kind of had to stop a little bit. I know like three of them tried to follow immediately. And then it kind of caused the, the defense of the city of Elrond, uh, I guess the city of Irvindale by Elrond. He created the defense that, you know, anything of, of evil nature uh, or of the enemy like the 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 river or whatever you want to call it, the ford was gonna would flood, and uh, we get this cool thing, and and they did that's really cool in the movie too. It says like like Frodo swore that in the in the frothy foam of all the water, they looked like there was like horse heads like charging them down, and it took out the three riders that were in the uh, the ford trying to follow, and then the other ones kind of stepped back, and that's when. Get a really cool moment. I'll kind of give Chase the moment to talk about it, but that someone else kind of makes things happen, and the, the horses freak out and run back into the water away from the people behind them, and they get swept down and, and taken away as well. And so, you know, Frodo passes out at this point in time, but all the Black Riders at, at, from this moment, they're all taken down by the Ford, and he kind of like goes, loses a little bit of his consciousness, and that's. Uh, that's there. So I know that Chase wanted to take a few parts in this chapter. So I'll turn it over to him to give his takeaways on it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm an elf guy. Like, that's my thing. Like, that's my <laughs> favorite species. Um, actually, if you're looking on our clips today, I'm sure you saw I got an elf sitting here on my Fellowship of the Ring book, which isn't, it's not Glorfindel. <laughs> it's someone else that we get introduced to later. That's my. Uh, favorite character in the whole series so but uh yeah just a, a couple things here right before then i thought this part was really cool uh remember this was like right when aragorn picked up the blade and uh picked up like the hilt the blade vanished and he remembered it was a cursed blade and he made sure he brought up that point also i do want to say he uses he tries to help frodo out himself just with the knowledge Aragorn has. Uh, and he uses this plant called Athenus, which is like a healing plant, but he realizes, you know, 
the shit ain't gonna work, <laughs> bro. Like I'm trying my best, man. You're fucked. You're just gonna have to keep going. You keep going through night, man. We're not taking no breaks, cause, uh, cause, um, right now I'm, I'm just hoping you don't die before we get there. <laughs> like that, that's kind of what we're looking at right now. And yeah, and uh, this part here, I'm just gonna read the part, like right when Glorfindel like arrives, and uh, to the part like just these quick three pages here where it ends just because i think it's a badass part like it's not very important josh nailed it but it's one of my favorite parts so i i feel like it would be in my head for the rest of this series if i if i didn't uh, have story time with chase for just like a, a second year so uh okay so this is right when he he arrives but and actually and this is kind of a cool part to bring up i do want to say because you're gonna hear some elvish language in here, which I know a lot of y'all listen to my TikTok, and these are actually words I actually had in there. They were straight out of the book. Like, we're about to hear Megavanen. That means well met, so I'll give you some English translation too. <laughs> Anyways, okay, so uh, this is right when he arrives. That does not sound like a black rider's horse, said Frodo, listening intently. The other hobbits agreed, hopefully that it did not, but they all remained full of suspicion. They had been in fear of the pursuit and remained full of suspicion for so long that any sound from behind seemed ominous and unfriendly. But Strider was now leaning forward and stooped to the ground with a hand to his ear and look of joy on his face. The light faded and the leaves on the bushes rustled softly, clearer and nearer. And nearer, now the bells jingled, and clippity-clip came from the quick-trotting feet. Suddenly into view, below came a white horse, gleaming in the shadows, running swiftly. In dusk, its headstall flickered and flashed, as if it were studded with gems like living stars. The rider's cloak streamed behind them, and his hood was thrown back. His golden hair flowed shimmering in the wind of his speed. To Frodo, it appeared that a white light was shining through the form in a remnant of the rider as through a thin veil. Strider sprang from hiding and dashed towards the road, leaping with a cry through the heather. But even before he had moved or called, the rider had reined in his horse and halted, looking up towards the thicket where they stood. When he saw Strider, he dismounted. He ran to meet him, calling out, Anah Vinduin Thundan Megavanen. All that means there's no direct translation for that, but it just means well met in the Elvish language, which is just welcoming someone. So I just thought you know, sign note there. Get your get your Elvish on. His speech and clear ringing ringing voice left no doubt in their hearts. The writer was of Elven folk. No others that dealt in the wide world had heard voices so fair to hear. But there seemed to be a note of haste or fear in his call. And they saw he was now speaking quickly and urgently to Strider. Soon Strider beckoned to them, and the hobbits left the bushes and hurried down to the road. This is Glorfindel, who dells, dwells in the house of Elrond, said Strider. Hail, and well met at last, said the elf lord to Frodo. I was sent from Rivendell to look for you. We feared that you were in danger and upon the road. Then Gandalf has reached Rivendell, cried Frodo joyfully. No, he had not when I departed, but that was nine days ago, answered Glorfindel. Elrond received news that troubled him. Some of my kinder journeying in your land beyond Barandian. Barandun. Can you pronounce that name? Barandun? Is that 
What do you say? I don't know, man. It's a city. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Learned that the things were amiss and sent messages as swiftly as they could. They said that the nine were abroad and that you were astray, being a great burden without guidance, for Gandalf had not returned. There were a few even in Rivendell that can ride openly against the nine, but such as they were, Elrond sent out northwest and south. It was thought that you might turn far aside to avoid pursuit and become lost in the wilderness. It was my lot to take the road, and I came to a bridge of Mithiel and left a token there nigh on seven days ago. Three of the servants of Sauron were upon the bridge, but they withdrew. I pursued them westward. I came also upon two others, but they turned away southward. Since then I have searched for your trail. Two days ago I found it and followed it over the bridge, and today I marked where you descended from the hills again. But come, there is no time for further news. Since you are here, we must risk the peril of the road and go. There are five behind us, and when they find your trail upon the road, they will ride after us like the wind. And they are not at all. Where the other four may be, I do not know. I fear they may find the ford is already held against us. While Glorfindel was speaking, the shades of even deepened. From Frodo felt a great weariness come over him ever since the sun began to sink and the mist before his eyes had darkened and he felt that a shadow was coming between him and his faces of his friends the pain assailed him and he felt cold he swayed clutching sam's arm my master is sick and wounded sam sam said angrily he can't go on riding after nightfall he needs rest glorfindel caught frodo as he sank to the ground and taking him gently in his arms he looked in his face with grave anxiety briefly strider told of the attack on the camp at Weathertop and of the deadly knife. He drew out the hilt which he had kept and handed it to the elf. Glorfindel shuddered as he took it and then looked intently at it. There are evil things written on this hilt, he said, though maybe your eyes cannot see them. Keep it, Aragorn, till we reach the house of Elrond. But be wary. Handle it as little as you may. Alas, the wounds of this weapon beyond my skill to heal. I will do what I can, but all the more do I urge you now to go on without rest. He searched the wound on Frodo's shoulder with the fingers, and his face grew griever, as if what he learned disquieted him. But Frodo felt the chill lessen in his side of his arm, and a little warmth crept down from his shoulder to his hand, and the pain grew easier. The dusk of the evening seemed to grow lighter about him as if the cloud had been withdrawn. He saw his friends' faces more clearly again, and a measure of a new hope and strength returned. "'You shall ride my horse,' said Glorfindel." I will shorten the stirrups up to the saddle skirts, and you must sit as tight as you can, but you need not fear. My horse will not let any rider fall that I command him to bear. His pace is light and smooth, and if danger presses near, he will bear you away with a speed that even the black steeds of the enemy cannot rival. No, he will not, said Frodo. I shall not ride him. If I am to be carried off to Rivendell or anywhere else, leaving my friends behind in danger, Glorfindel smiled. I doubt very much, he said, if your friends would be in danger if you were not with them. The pursuit would follow you leave us in peace, I think. It is you, Frodo, and that which you bear to bring us us all in peril. So the Frodo had no answer, and he was persuaded to the amount of Glorfindel's white horse. The pony was laden instead with a great part of the other burden, so that now it marched lighter and for a time made good speed. But the hobbits began to find it hard to keep up with the swift, tireless feet of the elf. On he led them into the mouth of darkness and still under the deep clouded night. There was neither star nor moon. Not until the gray of dawn did he allow them to halt. 
Pittman, Mary, and Sam were by the time nearly asleep on the stumbling legs, and even Strider seemed to be the sag of his shoulders to be weary. Frodo sat up on the horse in the dark dream. They cast themselves down into the heather a few yards from the roadside and fell asleep immediately. They seemed hardly to have closed their eyes when Glorfindel, who had sent himself to watch while they slept, awoke them again. The sun had now climbed far into the morning, and the clouds and the mist in the night were gone. Drink this, said Glorfindel to them pouring for each in turn little liquor from the silver-studded flask of his leather. It was clear and spring water had no taste, and it did not feel either cool or warm in his mouth, but strength and vigor seemed to flow into all the limbs as they drank it, eaten after the drought and stale bread and dried fruit, which was now all they had left, seemed to satisfy their hunger better than many a good breakfast in the Shire had done. They had rested rather than five hours. When they took to the road again, Glorfindel stole urged them on, and only allowed two brief halts during the day's march. And in this way, they covered almost 20 miles before nightfall, came to the point where the road bent right and ran down towards the bottom valley, now marking straight for the Brunnen. So far, they had no sound of the pursuit the hobbits could see or hear, but often Glorfindel would halt and listen for a moment if they lagged behind, and the look of the anxiety clouded his face. Once or twice he spoke to Strider and Elftongue, but however anxious their guides might be, it was plain that the hobbits could not go further into the night. They were stumbling along the dizziness with weariness and unable to think of anything but their feet and legs. Frodo's pain had redoubled and during the day about him faded to shadows of ghostly gray. He almost welcomed the coming of night, and then the world seemed less pale and empty. The hobbits were still weary, and when they set out again the next morning, there were many miles yet to go between them and the ford, and they hobbled forward at the best pace they could manage. Our peril will be the greatest just ere we reach the river, said Glorfindel, for my heart warns me that a pursuit is now swift behind us and the other danger may be waiting by the ford. The road was still running steadily downhill, and there was now in place much grass at either side, in which the hobbits walked as they could to ease their tired feet. In the late afternoon, they came to a place where the road went suddenly under a dark shadow to the tall pine trees, then plunged into the deep, cutting, steep, moist walls of red stone. Echoes ran across the hurried ford, and they seemed to be a sound of many footfalls following their own. All at once, through a gate of light, the road ran out again and again, the end of the tunnel into the opening. There at the bottom of a sharp incline, they saw before them a long, flat mile and beyond the ford of Rivendell. On the further side was a steep broad bank, threaded by the winding path, and behind the tall mountains climbed shoulder above shoulder and peak above peak into the fading sky. There was still an echo of the following feet and cutting behind them, a rushing noise of the wind rising and pouring through the branches of the pines. One moment Glorfindel turned and listened, and then he sprang forward in a loud cry. Fly, he called. Fly! The enemy is upon us. The white horse leaped forward. The hobbits ran down the slope. Glorfindel and Strider followed as rear guard. They were only halfway across the flat when suddenly there was a noise of horses galloping. Out of the gate in the trees they had just left and rode a black rider. He reined his horse and halted. Swaying in his saddle, another followed him, and then another, and then again two more. Ride forward, ride, cried Glorfindel to Frodo. He did not obey at once, for a strange reluctance seized him. Checking the horse to walk, he turned and then looked back. The rider seemed to sit upon the great steed like threatening statues upon a hill, dark and solid, while all the wood and land and then receded as if into a mist. Suddenly he knew in his heart that they were silently commanding him to wait. Then at once fear and hatred awoke in him, and his hand left the brittle and gripped the hilt of his sword, and with a red flash he drew it. 
Ride on, ride on, cried Glorfindel, and then loud and clear he called to the horse in elf tongue, Noralim, Noralim, Asafolth. At once the white horse sprang away and sped like a wind along the last lap of the road. At the same time, the black horses leaped down the hill in pursuit, and from the riders came a terrible cry, such as Frodo had heard the woods with horror in the east farthing far away. It was answered, and to the dismay of Frodo and his friends, and out from the trees and rocks away on the left four, other riders came flying. Two rode, for, rode towards Frodo. Two galloped madly towards Frodo to cut off his escape. They seemed to him to run like wind and grow swiftly larger and darker, and as the courses began to converge with his, Frodo looked back for a moment over his shoulder, and he could no longer see his friends. The riders behind him were falling back. Even their great steeds were no match in the speed for the white elf horse of Glorfindel. He looked forward again, and hope faded. There seemed no chance of reach, reaching the ford before he was cut off by the others that had lain in the ambush. He could see them clearly now. They appeared to have cast aside their hoods and black cloaks, and they were robbed in white and gray. Swords were naked in their pale hands, helms were on their heads. Their cold eyes glittered, and they called to him with fell voices. Fear now filled all Frodo's mind. He thought no longer of his sword. No cry came from him. He shut his eyes and clung to the horse's mane. The wind whistled in his ears, and the bells upon the harness rang and wild and shrill. A breath of deadly cold pierced him with a like spear, as with a last spurt like a flash of white fire, the elf horse speeding as if on wings passed right before the face of the foremost rider. Frodo heard the splash of water. It foamed about his feet. He felt the quick heave and surge as the horse left the river and struggled up the stony path. He was climbing the steep bank. He was across the ford, but the pursuers were close behind. At the top of the bank, the horses halted and turned about neighing fiercely. There were the nine riders at the water's edge below, and Frodo's spirit quailed before the threat of the uplifted faces. He knew nothing that would prevent them from crossing as easily as he had done. He felt that it was useless to try to escape over the long, uncertain path from the ford to the edge of Rivendell. If once the riders crossed, in any case, he felt that he commanded urgently to halt. Hatred again stirred in him, but he had no longer the strength to refuse. Suddenly, the foremost rider spurred his horse forward. It checked the water and reared up with a great effort. Frodo sat upright and brandished his sword. Go back, he cried. Go back to the land of Mordor and follow me no more. His voice surrounded thin and shrill in his own ears. The riders halted, but Frodo had not the power of Bombadil. His enemies laughed at him with a harsh and chilling laughter. Come back, come back, they called. To Mordor, we will take you. Go back, he whispered. The ring, the ring, they cried with the deadly voices. Immediately, their leader urged his horse forward into the water, followed closely by two others. By Elberith and Luthwin the fair, said Frodo, with a last effort lifting up his sword. You shall have neither the ring nor me. And the leader, who was now half across the ford, stood up menacing in his stirrups and raised up his hand. Frodo was stricken dumb. He felt his tongue cleave to his mouth and his heart laboring. His sword broke and fell out of his shaking hand. The elf horse reared and snorted. The foremost of the black horses had almost set a foot upon the shore. At the moment, there came a roaring and rushing, a noise of loud waters rolling many stones. Dimly, Frodo saw the river below him rise, and down along its course there came a palmed cavalry of waves. White flames seemed to Frodo to flicker to their crest, and he half fancied. He saw amid the water white riders upon white horses with frothing manes. 
The three riders there were still in the midst of the ford were overwhelmed. They disappeared, buried suddenly under angry foam. Those they were behind drew back in dismay. With his last failing senses, Frodo heard cries, and it seemed to him he saw beyond the riders that hesitated on the shore a shining figure of white light, and behind it ran small shadowy forms of waving flames that flared red in the gray mist that was failing, fall, falling over the world. The black horses were filled with madness, and leaping forward in terror, they bore their riders in the rushing, rushing flood. Their piercing cries were drowned in the roaring of the river as it carried them away. And then Frodo felt himself falling, and the roaring in confusion seemed to rise and engulf him together with his enemies. He heard and saw no more. Had to read it, man. I thought it was badass. My boy saved him. But you gotta give it to Frodo too, man. He stood his ground. So that's all I'll say for that, and I'll let you take the next chapter, man. Okay, um, to go into the next chapter, and this is interesting because this is where in the novel it cuts off from book one to book two. It's a little bit different in the films. So this is like chapter one of book two of Fellowship of the Ring. So the, each book is kind of split up into book one and book two uh, in, in each novel. So now we're in chapter one, which is called Many Meetings. And a couple of things I kind of took away from this is that it's the 24th of October and... It, the person who told Frodo this happens to be Gandalf. So we get a, the resolution that Gandalf has made it with them to Rivendell. Uh, obviously, he was delayed. We're going to find out a little bit more about that in its entirety next chapter. But long story short, I'm not going to read the whole damn thing, but uh, Gandalf kind of gives Frodo a quick recap, letting him know that everyone's safe, that uh, he was kind of been unconscious for the past three days, and that's where he lost the time at. You know, because Frodo's like, by my count, it should only be you know October 21st. Um, apparently, Gandalf only arrived a couple days before them, and you know, he said he kind of added to the the effects of the the Ford that was already had a defense mechanism against the Black Riders too. So those Black Riders, they got their horses uh, taken out and. You know, Frodo was kind of hopeful. He's like, "Hey, you know, are the Black Riders going to be gone? Are they, are they dead?" And he's like, "Well, there's no such luck there. Like, they'll find darker and better steeds, but you know, they we don't have to worry about them while we're here. Like, we're good now." Uh, so Gandalf tells them that you know they could. Well, Frodo says we could never have done it without Strider, and uh, Gandalf was talking about how that. There, there, there's few and le few left in Middle Earth like Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Like the race of kings from over the seas is nearly at an end, and it may be the, this War of the Ring that will be their last of their, you know, line. And this is important, kind of going forward into the storyline of, of you know, up to this point, the main characters have kind of been the hobbits. Obviously, Frodo being the forefront, Gandalf has has played a big role as well. But this, you know, what what I love so much about these series is that. They, they it shifts the focus from you know almost main character to main character a few different times, you know and, and you know I, I, we talk about you know other pieces of literature that aren't related to Lord of the Rings. I know in Game of Thrones they did that a bit more like directly. You know you kind of had chapters following each certain characters in the Game of Thrones novels, where this one it kind of just like it seamlessly flows into 
you know, who's important at what times. And I really kind of enjoyed that. Because the only thing like, in the Harry Potter series, it really just followed Harry and Ron and Hermione around. That was pretty much it. Like, we got to know cool things about different people. And, you know, Dumbledore played a big role. Snape played a big role. Like, there's big roles that were played. But it never kind of shifted into, you know, this is the main character. But, like, also, this is the main character. But also, this is the main character. Like, you know, there's at least, like, three or four main characters in the Lord of the Rings throughout the re- remainder of the series. So I thought that was pretty important to notate. Um, to kind of go about this here, he's telling them that they're safe in uh, Rivendell. He's asking about his friends and things like that. They're kind of waiting for you, but you got to rest. Um, and then he ends up making his way finally after he got that nice little sleep in. And Sam comes in and grabs his arm and tells him, oh, he's like happy to. It was kind of weird, an interesting like moment. He, just, he like grabs his hand and says he stroked his arm and like Butch is like, I'm just making sure that, you know, you're, you're doing better because your arm was like ice cold before. Now it seems to be warm and moving and healing. And so I thought that was kind of cool too is that Elrond, like he has these such powers that he can heal people of like mortal wounds. Like these like deadly wounds as well. And how that there's, there was like a shard of that, of that knife that was digging deeper and it was like moving its way towards Frodo's heart. And if it had gotten to Frodo's heart it would have turned him into like a wraith like them but under their like it'd be like almost like a, a pyramid scheme here like Sauron's at the top of the pyramid then you got the Black Riders and then you got like the Black Riders servants and so it kind of would have turned him into like a servant of the Black Riders so I thought that was kind of cool but uh yeah we got we get re reunions with all the all the hobbits you know Pippin and, and Mary uh <laughs> Pippin, Pippin always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. Pippin says, hooray, here's our noble cousin. Make way for Frodo, Lord of the Ring. And Gandalf shuts him right down. He says, hush. He's like, from the shadows at the back of the porch, evil things do not come into this valley, but all the same, we should not name them. Lord of the Ring is not Frodo, but the master of the dark tower of Mordor, whose power is again stretching out over the world. We are sitting in a fortress. Outside it is getting dark. So, and then Ben's like, well, Gandalf's been saying really nice things like that ever since. So, this is all par for the course. Uh, they end up having this really amazing feast. And I thought this was kind of cool, too. We get a little uh, cameo of Gloyan, who wants to have a conversation with Frodo. And Gloyan is the father of a famous dwarf that we're going to meet next chapter. So, he gets like a conversation with him because Gloyan was one of the dwarves that were on the adventure with Bilbo. And so, you know, and, you know, maybe he comes up here to play not too long, Mr. Bilbo. But uh, anyways, to continue on this chapter, like, uh, he was one, uh, you know, he has that conversation and he's like one of the 12 companions of the great Thorin Oakenshield. And so that's, uh, that's what Gloian is and thought that was kind of cool to have that there. Again, doing a great job of referencing past pieces of literature that he's written. So I thought that was awesome. We also get a cameo appearance. I'm going to actually read this one here. It says, and so it was that Frodo saw her whom few mortals had yet seen, Arwen, daughter of Elrond, in whom it was said that the likeness of Luthien had come on earth again, and she was called Undomiel, for she was even star of her people. Long had she been in the land of her mother's kin in Lorien, beyond the mountains, and was but lately returned to Rivendell to her father's house. But her brothers Eladin and Elrohir were out upon errantry, for they rode far afield with the rangers of the north, forgetting never their mother's torment in the dens of the orcs. So, a couple things to take away from that. Arwen, big main character. Uh, she's going to have a role to play later on. I think that's pretty clear to say. But also, 
Luthien was one of the first elves, and that was like that that story, the that great beauty where Strider was telling them. This is back in the the first chapter we went over. Uh, I think a knife in the dark when they were kind of trying to figure out how to uh, you know rest at night, and he's telling the stories of the beautiful elves and how they they there was like a tragedy story. It's almost kind of like a Romeo and Juliet sort of deal, like one of the uh, king's men of one of westerness and her kind of fell in love they stole one of the silmarils and you know try to bring it back to get presented to her father so that way like they would kind of approve of their their companionship he ended up getting killed by a wolf and she ended up you know to, to deciding to take a mortal life for herself at that point uh but they were saying that arwen's look almost looks like the second coming of her with like her beauty and everything because they said that luthien was one of the most like it was like universally known almost like helen of troy most beautiful woman in the world type of deal kind of thing and so i thought that was pretty cool then also saying that uh, her brothers Eladin and Ulro here they, they were uh, often rode afield with the rangers of the north like again strider being a ranger of the north they they ride with them because they never forgot their mother's torment in the dens of the orcs so to me this sounds like her mother was tortured and killed by orcs and that's why you know elrond may be a little protective of arwen and we'll kind of see that come into play uh, not so much this week, but maybe in the coming weeks, uh, you know, ahead of us. So that was kind of some of the bigger things there. And after they had this meal, they went to this really cool room where they, you know, it's like they keep singing in songs and kind of keep people at peace and enjoying the time there. It's like time doesn't seem to pass in this room. And they meet a very, you know, small fellow in the corner. He pulls his, uh, uh, Elrond kind of pulls his thing down and says, wake up, Bilbo. And so Frodo and Bilbo get their uh, reunion at long last. He, you know, Frodo was missing him a lot, and so that was pretty cool that they get to uh, have their little conversation. And yeah, man, that's that, that's a lot of, bit of what I had to take from this this chapter. A lot of it was that after that, yeah, he made this big song with Strider. I'm not gonna read it because it's like three pages of just song. <laughs> and so uh, outside of that, it was pretty cool. And you know, they ended up all having a great time meeting and that's why the name of the chapter is many meetings you know we got to meet a bunch of different characters in that moment uh you know we got the reunion of frodo and bilbo you got you know they, they seem to be this is like almost like the last night and what i got is like this is the last night of peace and and merriment that they're gonna have before they've got to make big decisions coming up here in the next chapter and so those are just my main takeaways from this chapter uh that was chapter one and book two of fellowship of the ring called many meetings uh, before we jump into the Council of Elrond, I want to give Chase the opportunity to provide his takeaways from many meetings. Yeah, just a few here. Uh, the first big one I had was, uh, and you touched on this a little, but Gandalf, when he was talking to Frodo, he was actually mentioning as well that, uh, of course, you mentioned how it hit his shoulder instead of his heart, but that he would have passed into the world of the Nazgul and become a wraith. So I think that's a big mention, like to mention how it, not only is he would pass into that shadows, but could possibly become a wraith for himself. Uh, I think that's interesting to think about. Uh, the other thing is he did confirm, of course, that was Glorfindel. So we assumed it was, but yeah, he did confirm that who he saw that was like that bright light, you know, that commanded the water uh, was Glorfindel. No, I do want to say this. Uh, We'll talk about this more when we do the differences for the movie part one, but that part I was reading before, that's actually, I feel like this is an appropriate time to say, because that's actually given to Arwen in the movie, 
and uh, that's who we meet here, which is just really cool. And uh, just a side note, like where he said before, Nora Lim, Nora Lim Asfolith, that just means animals run swift, but the only animals run swift, the only reason I bring that up is because we'll talk about this uh, when we do the movie differences, they actually gave like Arwen this big speech that they wrote just for the movie that was in the book, like where she says, if you want him, come and claim him. And she says this big elvish line, which actually has a really cool translation about the white horses being conjured up with magic from the water, which we'll talk about next week. But I thought it was a really cool kind of difference there, which we'll talk about later. But yeah, that's all my takeaways. And just another side note too. Like, remember Bilbo, like, when he saw the ring, he's like, do you mind if I see it again? And he kind of had, like, that shadow kind of come over him. Um, like, you can tell he's still kind of being influenced by the ring in a little bit of a way. But that's all I had there, and I'll let you take our last chapter for the day, man. I think that was actually a really good point that you brought up there about how Bilbo is still kind of trapped by the ring. Because there's going to come a point in this chapter we're about to read where Bilbo makes an offer, and there, like it ends up they end up making him realize that hey like not not a good look uh because it still does have like a crazy hold of him and like you know it even said in this chapter that frodo almost wanted to strike bilbo because of like the shadow came across his face as if he wanted to like take it from him so and we got to see that in the film too now you mentioned in the film a little bit we got to kind of see that quick little jerk reaction that they had in there they embellished it a little bit in the film but like it was still uh it was still it is very important to note that's a really good point and then Another part that I wanted to mention too, right before we jump into like the last chapter, is when you were mentioning that Gandalf confirmed that it was Glorfindel that he saw on the other side of the of the ford. Gandalf, I'm gonna read the exact passage. Gandalf said, "Yes, you saw him for a moment as he is upon the other side, one of the mighty of the firstborn. He is an elf lord of a house of princes." So that kind of gives you us an idea of exactly who this Glorfindel character is. And when he says the other side, you know how the the, the Black Riders, these ring race, they can kind of balance in between the land, like the physical realm and like the spiritual realm type of deal. And so can these elves, but in like the opposite sense. Like they're the good, you know, they, they bring the light instead of the darkness. And so the fact that he got to fight them on the other side of it was kind of cool. And I thought that was definitely something worth, worth notating. But yes to uh, go ahead and jump into the final chapter that we'll cover here today. The Council of Elrond uh, says the next day uh, Frodo woke up. They were feeling refreshed. You know, They kept hearing the, the, the beautiful scenery of the, the area they were at. And Frodo even asks if he can go check something out. And Gandalf's like, mm, you might have a chance, but we can't make any plans yet. There's a lot to hear and decide today. And this is kind of really important. This is where we really see a lot of the what they the, the namesake of this book is the Fellowship of the Ring. And so I'm gonna read a little bit about who was all there. So he then so we get to this uh, secret council. He said Elrond was there. Several others were seated in silence about him. Frodo saw Glorfindel and Gloin, and in a corner alone, Strider was sitting, clad in his old travel-worn clothes again. And Elrond drew Frodo to a seat by his side and presented him to the company, saying. Here, my friends, is the hobbit Frodo, son of Drogo. If you have ever come hither through greater peril or on an errand more urgent. He then pointed out and named those whom Frodo had not met before. There was a younger dwarf at Gloyan's side, his son Gimli. Beside Glorfindel, there were several other counselors of Elrond's household, of whom Aristor was the chief. And with him was Galder, an elf from the Grey Havens, who had come on errand from Surdin the shipwright. There was also a strange elf clad in green and brown, 
Legolas, a messenger from his father, Thranduil, the king of the elves of the northern Mirkwood. And seated a little part was a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark-haired, gray-eyed, proud, and stern of glance. He was cloaked and booted as if for journey on horseback, and indeed though his garments were rich and his cloak was lined with fur, they were stained with long travel. He had a collar of silver in which a single white stone was set. His locks were shown about his shoulders. On a baldric he wore a great horn tipped with silver that was now laid upon his knees. He gazed at Frodo and Bilbo with sudden wonder. Here, said Elrond, turning to Gandalf, is Boromir, a man from the south. He arrived in the gray morning and seeks for counsel. I have bidden him to be present, for here his questions will be answered. So that was a little bit about who's all involved in this secret council that they're holding to kind of decide the fate of pretty much everything. You know, some really important things that we hear about as well throughout reading it in its entirety is Gloian having giving us tidings of Moria and how Balin like was digging deep in Khazad Doom and they had they, they said the last that they heard of him was from thirty days ago and since then there's been no reports at all from Moria and that I'm sorry, thirty years ago, not thirty days ago, thirty years ago and since that there's been no word from Moria. And that's kind of have some bad tidings. You know, it's a bit of a foreshadow later on there as well. So I thought that was pretty cool that we kind of got to see a little bit of a foreshadow of what's to come, mentioning the dwarf side of stuff. Uh, from there, we get also the... We, we get like a little bit of a backstory of stuff that we've already heard before, but it's like kind of people repeating different things. Um, you know, I... I kind of struggle whether to read in the entirety of what all the different stories are because half of them are like ones that we already know, but at the same time can kind of be important. But I guess I'll just kind of give you a, a uh, overview of it. So apparently that Sauron was trying to trick these dwarves into thinking that he was after a small ring that was like the least important of all the rings and that if they helped him and found like these these hobbit people and they got that ring for him that Sauron would make three new rings for the dwarves of great power and so obviously they were like they never gave Sauron an answer they kept kind of saying you know we'll keep thinking about it. we'll keep thinking about it you know at the third try when the messenger said like you know this is like your last chance or else you know we're going to resort to other sort of stuff there so then that's when they all realized that uh, they, they'd all listened like, while Auron in his clear voice spoke with Sauron in the Rings of Power and they're forging in the second age of the world a long time ago. Uh, so this is, this is where he has his talk about like of Numenor and the fall of the kings of men into Middle-earth. Then obviously Elendil the Tall and his mighty sons Isildur and Anarion, how they became great lords. Uh, you know, and then the south, they, they made an, an Arnor the realm of Gondor uh, that was above the mouths of the Anduin. And then the Sauron of Mordor assailed them, and they made their last alliance of elves and men, and the hosts of Gilgalad and Elendil were mustered in Arnor. So this is like talking about the the final stand where everything happened and how Isildur cut off Sauron's ring finger and took the ring from there. And it basically is giving everybody else the backstory on how the um, ring went from that day where it is today you know i think that's all the important things to kind of know everything else we've kind of went over before uh you know and then there's there's people who aren't really sure that like how how do we know that this is the ring and so between like gandalf and elrond they kind of cast all shadow of everyone's doubt of mine they're like you know they talk about the capture of Gollum of smeagol and all that as well 
Uh, I thought this was actually a cool part too with with Boromir trying to figure out where this uh, that halfling sort of the, the, the hobbits come into play here. He said he had like a dream that was sent to him. He said his brother heard it twice and then he said he heard it once. And this is the dream that he had. It says, Seek for the sword that was broken. In Ilmadris it dwells. There shall be counsels taken stronger than Morgan, Morgul's spells. There shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand. For Isildur's bane shall waken, and the halflings forth shall stand. And so, obviously, a lot of that is that, that broken sword that Strider, I guess we can call him Aragorn now. I think it's finally to the point where we can just drop the Strider name. Uh, Aragorn <laughs> has that uh, broken sword, and he kind of puts it out in front there to kind of show Boromir that, yes, here we go. And then, uh, yeah, and then obviously, like, Isildur's bane... That's the that's the name of the ring, and like the like the bane of someone's existence is kind of where that comes from, and like that, that leads to their downfall, and that's exactly what the ring of power was to Isildur. Like his downfall, he ended up being killed when he put it on and jumped into that river, and then the ring fell off his finger, and you know on its per- on purpose, like it did it on you know it, it was on its own accord, and then he like reappeared, and the orc shot him in the back three times. We already went over the story, but point being is like that's why like all that that strange dream that Boromir had. It's like all stuff that we can kind of piece together, right? Seek for the sword that was broken. That's obviously like the the broken sword that Elendil uh, snapped, and Isildur took the, the pieces and shards of and cut off the the finger. Then he's like, uh, go to Elmadris, Il- which is another the elven name for Rivendell. So there shall be councils taken, which is talking about this big council here, and then there shall be shown a token that doom is near at hand. It's like for Isildur veins shall awaken, and the halflings four shall stand, and it kind of you know, foreshadows the halflings and the, or what they call the hobbits role going forward. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so between, like I said, between Gandalf and Elrond, they basically had to convince not only Boromir, but also one of the other uh, elves as well that uh, that this is actually, uh, yeah, his name is Galdor the Havens. Like, he's like, you speak for me also, he cried, turning around. The wise may have a good reason to believe that the halfling's trove is indeed the great ring of long debate. Unlikely, though, that may seem to those who know less. But maybe not hear the proofs? And I would also ask this also. What of Saruman? He has learned in lore of the rings, yet he is not among us. What is his counsel if he knows the things that we have heard? And that's, so that, that's like, like so again, not only is Boromir questioning is this the right ring, but also another elf is as well. And he's from the Grey Havens, which is a different part of where elves come from there's different areas where they're from and so that's when we kind of get a really in-depth explanation here about uh how they drew uh, how gandalf this is gandalf's part in time like how he uh went to the past the doors of necromancer and dole guldur and explored his ways and found out that their fears were true that the per- that the necromancer in dole guldur is actually sauron the enemy of old and that uh you know, they kind of drove him from Workwood, but it was actually a plot to do so. They wanted, they, someone wanted to do that so that way he could flee to Mordor and gain his old strength back. And so uh, he tells them a little bit, and I will read this part. I will read Gandalf's thing here because this is something new to all of us. This is the first time we hear a full account of Gandalf's like travels from when he left Frodo to where he was supposed to return to where he got here at Rivendell. So Gandalf fell silent, gazing eastward from the porch to the far peaks of the misty mountains, whose great roots of the peril the world had long lain hidden. He sighed. There I was at fault. 
I was lulled by the words of Saruman the wise, but I should have sought for the truth sooner, and our peril would now be less. And Elrond says, we were all at fault, but for your vigilance, the darkness maybe would already have been upon us, but say on. And Gandalf says, well, from the first, my heart misgave me against all reason that I knew, and I desired to know how this thing came to Gollum and how long he had possessed it. So I set a watch for him, guessing he would come before long, come forth from the darkness to seek his treasure. He came, but he escaped and not found. And then, alas, I let the matter rest, watching and waiting only as we have too often done. Time passed with many cares until my doubts were awakening to sudden fear. Whence came the hobbit's ring? What if my fear was true? Should be done with it? Those things I must decide. But I spoke of my dread to none, knowing peril of untimely whisper if it went astray, in all the long wars with the Dark Tower, treason has ever been our greatest foe. That seventeen years ago, soon I became aware that spies of many sorts, even beasts and birds, were gathered round the Shire, and my fear grew. I called for the help of the Dunedain, and their watch was doubled, and I opened my heart to Aragorn, the heir of Isildur. And I, said Aragorn, counseled that we should hunt for Gollum, too late though it may seem, and since it seemed fit that Isildur's heir should labor to repair Isildur's fault, I went with Gandalf on the long and hopeless search. Then Gandalf told how they explored the whole length of the Witherlands down to the Mountains of the Shadow and the Fences of Mordor. There we had rumor of him, and we guessed that he dwelt there long in the Dark Hills, but we never found him, and at last I despaired. And then in my despair, I thought again of a test that might make the finding of Gollum unneeded. The ring itself might tell if it were the one. The memory of words of the council came back to me, words of Sauron, half-heated at the time. I heard them now clearly in my heart. The nine, the seven... And the three, he said, had each their proper gem. Not so the one. It was round and unadorned, as if it were one of the lesser rings. But its maker set marks upon it that the skilled, maybe, could still see and read. What those marks were, he had not said. Who now would know? The maker and Saruman? But great though his lore may be, it must have a source. What hand save Sauron's ever held this thing before it was lost? The hand of Isildur alone. With that thought, I forsake the chase and pass swiftly to Gondor. In former days, the members of my order had been well received there, but Saruman most of all. Often he had been long the guests of lords of the city. Less welcome did the lord Denethor show me than of old, and grudgingly he permitted me to search among his hoarded scrolls and books. And Denethor said to me, If indeed you look only as you say for records of ancient days and the beginnings of the city, read on. For to me, what is less dark than what is to come and that is my care. But unless you have more skill even than Saruman, who has studied here long, you will find naught that is not well known to me, who am master of the lore of the city. And yet there lie in his hordes many records that few now can read. Even the lore masters, for their scripts and tongues have become dark to later men. And Boromir there lies in Minas Tirith still, unread, I guess, by any save Saruman and myself, since the kings failed, a scroll that Isildur made himself. For Isildur did not march away straight from the war in Mordor, as some have told the tale. Some of the north, maybe, Boromir broke in. All know in Gondor he went first to Minas, Minas Anor and dwelt a while with his nephew Meneldil, instructing him before he committed to the, the rule of the South Kingdom. In that time he planted there the last sapling of the white tree in memory of his brother. But in that time he also made the scroll, said Gandalf. And that is not remembered in Gondor, it would seem, for the scroll concerns the ring, and thus wrote Isildur therein. The great ring shall go now to be an heirloom of the North Kingdom, but records of it 
shall be left in Gondor, where also dwell the heirs of Elendil, lest the time come when the memory of these great matters shall grow dim. And after these words, Isildur described the ring such as he found it. It was hot when I first took it. Hot as a glade, and my hand was scorched, so that I doubt if I ever shall be free again of the pain of it. Yet even as I write, it is cooled, and it seemeth to shrink, though it loosen neither its beauty or its shape. Already the writing upon it, from which at first was clear as red flame, fadeth, and now is only barely to be read. It is fashioned in an elven script of Eregion, for they have no letters in Mordor for such subtle work. But the language is unknown to me. I deem it to be a tongue of the black land, since it is foul and uncouth. What evil it saith I do not know, but I trace here a copy of it, lest it shall fade beyond recall. The ring misseth may be the heat of Sauron's hand, which was black and yet burned like fire, and so Gilgalad was destroyed, and maybe, were the gold made hot again, the writing would be refreshed. But for my part, I will risk no hurt to this thing, of all works of Sauron the only fair. It is precious to me, though I buy it with great pain. And so, to not read the entirety of this whole chapter, he, we kind of get into the whole, the, the big takeaway of this is that it is in fact the ring of power and what ended up happening to Gandalf is he ended up coming across another wizard saying that's like he needed to go meet with Saruman to, to uh, figure out you know how to deal with something and the, the other wizard's name was I believe Radigan oh Radagast I'm sorry Radagast, Radagast the brown uh, so that's what he was called it's funny how all the, the wise have like a color associated with it, right originally it was Saruman the white Gandalf the gray Radagast the brown and he meets with him and basically tells him, hey, you got to go meet up with Saruman. Gandalf goes to meet up with Saruman. And, and this is where like the treachery really takes hold here and why it kind of answers the elf's question of where is Saruman? Shouldn't he be here? He's like the leader of the Council of the Wise. And this is where Gandalf tells him, well, you guys, you know what? Saruman betrayed us. Uh, he wanted us to join with Sauron. He even decided to think that maybe we, if we get the power of the ring, we can overthrow him and then they be the rulers. Uh, you know, he said he like talked about it too. I thought this was pretty cool when um, he talked about the Saruman, the white size. He says, "This is talking from Saruman's mouth." Here he says, uh, "Radagast the Brown left Saruman, and he no longer concealed the scorn. Radagast the Bird Tamer, Radagast the Simple, Radagast the Fool. Yet he had just the wit to play the part I sent him. For you have come, and that was all the purpose of my message. And here you will stay again, off the gray." and rest from journeys. For I am Saruman the Wise, Saruman Ringmaker, Saruman of many colors. And Gandalf said, I looked then and saw that his robes which had seemed white were not so, but were woven of all colors. And if they moved, they shimmered and changed hue so that the eye was bewildered. So this is, that was pretty cool. I thought that was dope. But yeah, big biggest thing, Saruman betrayed them. Treason here, craziness, because he's supposed to be one of the wise leaders of Middle-earth, period. You know, he's the leader of all the wizards. He's the, he's the guy. And now he is taken up on Sauron's side and might even try to backstab him later on to take full power of everything. And so, but what Saruman tried to get Gandalf to do is tried to get Gandalf to join him. And Gandalf's like, well, not doing that. And then Saruman's like, well, guess what? Then you're staying up here at the top of this tower and you ain't going nowhere, motherfucker. And that's how it was for the longest, and that's why he was delayed so long until that message that he told Radagast to put out to all the birds and creatures of of the earth is that he could. You know, one of the eagles flew there to go, you know, check on everything, and that's when Gandalf like jumped on the eagle's back, 
was able to escape and he was able to fl- uh, fly him to Rohan where he said there's some there's some misgivings in Rohan too now like some of the, like, they weren't very happy to see him either and that they said some of like the evil they may even be supplying horses to the land of Mordor and because like the Ro- like the Rohirrim horses apparently are some of the, the best horses in in the land and they had there a, a white horse that Gandalf wanted to take specifically his name was Shadowfax and apparently this is like the greatest horse it's one of like the the king of horses it rides swift doesn't get tired and he was able to make the journey back and he ended up kind of retracing Frodo's steps like went to you know uh the Crick, Crick Hollow where the door he saw the door kicked in he saw that the Frodo's uh cloak was on the ground there got a little bit nervous he ended up making the way to the prancing pony and had that conversation with the barman then he ended up making his way to Weathertop ended up getting ahead of them at that point in time and he had that battle with the uh with the ringwraiths uh, at the top of Weathertop. Now, that was the big flash of light that they saw before they got there, was Gandalf fighting these things off. And from there, he had to, to ride and make haste to Rivendell and trust that, like, either that the, they were already there or that they, you know, were in the hands of Strider because that's what the barman told him, uh, you know, that they would make it. And so he, that's how Gandalf, you know, all his journeys went. You know, he tried to find Gollum, get some answers, went to Gondor, got the answers he wanted, came back, figured out it was the ring. Ended up getting coming across an old friend of his in, in Radagast that's a part of their council. Was told to go to Saruman. Goes to Saruman, finds out Saruman's actually on the bad side. He flipped the switch to the evil and he got stuck there. And he said he was looking over it and he saw all he saw was like wolves and orcs and burnings of Isengard. How beautiful it used to be and, and how it's turned into like like uh, destruction and, and all fire. And, and um, yeah, it's just uh, it's not good tidings. Not good tidings at all. But now that they all know and realize that this is the exact ring, they've got to figure out what they're going to do about it. There's a couple of options. They can, you know, either try to hide it forever by throwing it into the great, you know, ocean or whatever you want to call that body of water, uh, or they can, you know, try to conceal it from them. They even kind of mention, hey, how about we give it to Tom Bombadil, which is pretty cool because this is like that was saying we're going to get that little reference from him again. That they have a lot of respect for this guy, even even the. Uh, the elves who you know they generally are speaking as the fair folk of of everything basically they're like well like that was an, an actual option giving the ring to tom bombadil and gandalf's like well we probably shouldn't do that because like he won't even care like, he, he won't even realize what it is he'll just lose it and then we'll be back in the same position because someone else will find it along the way and then we'll kind of come back here so he can't give it to tom bombadil even though like you know it has no effect on him it's still no good so uh from there they decide, hey, you know what? Guess the best option. We gotta destroy it. Who's gonna take it? Bilbo makes a case that he should take it since he had it before. Gandalf's like, hey man, you had your time. Nah, probably not gonna do that. Then Frodo says, ah, well, I'll take it, though I do not know the way. And that's kind of how the Council of Elrond ends, is with uh, Frodo being the guy that's gonna take the ring to Mordor and destroy it in Mount Doom. So that's. My takeaways on that last chapter. <laughs> what do you have for it, brother? Yeah, just a few more. I'm really surprised, though. You left out one guy. That's your favorite boy that was in that entire council meeting that you just plain old didn't mention at all. Uh, I think you weren't listening to me at all because I mentioned Boromir like five times. <laughs> like, but okay. Uh, well, I was waiting for you to mention him at the end. He suggests wielding the ring, and they say that they can't wield it. Uh, it can't be wielded. 
But um, and there is even a part Elrond mentions that the elf rings that were made aren't like the others, and they do want Sauron's power broken. So I think that's important to mention. Also, Legolas is introduced, uh, by the way. So uh, my favorite character in the entire series. Uh, by the way, just a side note here, um, even Glorfindel, and even at this meeting, Elrond and Elagolas, if they ever speak in Elvish, it's Cinderin. So the only ones, Elrond can speak Quenya, but it's mainly like, it's like a very old language. Like you'll see him speak that very rarely, and it's with a character, Galadriel, we talk about much later on. Um... But yeah, I mean, you pretty much nailed that chapter, man. I mean, um, other than that, I mean, you do have kind of like that iconic line at the end. Frodo says, uh, I will take it, but I do not know the way. And Sam, you know, gets discovered and says he's going with Frodo. And Elrond says, we can't separate you two, even if it's a special council meeting that you're not invited to, which is very iconic lines from the film but yeah other otherwise now you did great man that's all my takeaways from that chapter i was just expecting thought i'd hear a little bit more about boromir man i thought basically all your takeaways were going to be about boromir you kind of kind of no, down there kept talking about his, gandalf <laughs> messing with you yeah this wasn't his best like moment you know, all it was is like him talking about that that dream that he had and trying to figure out uh, what the plan was and how he wanted to use the ring against them and as a weapon and like that was pretty much it like he was he was questioning how they know it's the actual ring he didn't really play much of a role here like like it is important that he was noticed and he's part of the fellowship but you know outside of that like he didn't really play a big role outside I guess you can say he he offered the third option of instead of getting you know you know hiding it forever or destroying it the third option of trying to use it against him which i don't think anyone was gonna be like yeah man that sounds great let's just go ahead and use that ring against Sauron. <laughs> yeah that's, yeah, what, we're, that's yeah. what we're gonna do uh, but i did want to read that the, the passage about tom bombadil like when they reference him here specifically because we talked a lot about mm. this guy he says uh this is gonna go back from here it says the barrowites we know by many names of the old forest have many tales been told and all that remains is but an outlier of its northern march, and time was when a squirrel could go from tree to tree, from rise the Shire to Dunland west of Isengard. In those lands I journeyed once, and many things wild and strange I knew, but I have forgotten Bombadil, if indeed this is the same that walked the woods and hills long ago, even then was older than the old. That was not then his name. Iarwain Benadar, we called him, oldest and fatherless, but many another name he has been since given by other folk. Forn by dwarves, Oraled by northern men, and other names beside. He is a strange creature, but maybe I should have summoned him to the council. He would not have come, said Gandalf. And said, Could we not still send message to him and obtain his help? asked Aristor. It seems that he has a power over even the ring. No, I should not put it so, said Gandalf. Say rather that the ring has no power over him. He is his own master, but he cannot alter the ring itself, nor break its power over others. And now he is withdrawn into a little land within bounds that he has set, though none can see him, waiting perhaps for a change of days, and he will not step beyond them. But within those bounds nothing seems to dismay him, said Aristor. Would we not take the ring and keep it there, forever harmless? No, said Gandalf, not willingly. He might do so if all the free folk of the world begged him, but he would not understand the need. And if he were given the ring, he would soon forget it and most likely throw it away. 
such things have no hold on his mind. He would be a most unsafe guardian, and that alone is answer enough. But in any case, said Glorfindel, to send the ring to him would only postpone the day of evil. He is far away. We cannot take it back to him now, unguessed and unmarked by any spy. And if we could, sooner or late, Lord, the Lord of the Rings would learn of its hiding place and would bend all the power towards it. Could that power be defied by Bombadil alone? I think not. I think that in the end, if all else is conquered, Bombadil will fall. Last as he was first, and then night will come. And I know little of Iarwin save the name, said Galdor, but Glorfindel, I think, is right. Power to defy our enemy is not in him, unless the power is in the earth itself. And yet we see that Sauron could torture and destroy the very hills. So... That's all I want to mention about Tom Bombadil there and how highly they re- hold him in regard. And just, you know, that that was a viable option. And it would be a good one if it, like, it was any sort of importance at all to uh, <laughs> to Bombadil. But they, they just said like it, it wouldn't help. But he said, and that's pretty cool how he said he would be the last as he was the first. Meaning he would be the last cre- like, creature alive until the darkness came. And it almost kind of reminded me of the long night. Like, you know, just, yeah. it was like the, the Night King sort of like Sauron, very similar in that way. Um, yeah, and there's the only other thing I wanted to mention was like talking about uh, Elrond himself. Like I, I wanted to talk about how he remembers the old days because this is where Frodo kind of like breaks in and says like, "You remember speaking this all out?" I thought Elrond turned towards me. He's like, "I thought the fall of Gilgalad was a long age ago." So he's like, uh, Elrond says like, "I remember about all the splendors of the banners that recalled to me the glory of the elder days and the hosts of Beleriand." And so many great princes and captains were assembled, and yet not so many, nor as fair as when Thangoradrim was broken and the elves deemed that evil was ended forever, and it was not so. But my memory reaches back even to the elder days. Irindil was my sire, who was born in Gondolin before its fall. And my mother was Elwing, daughter of Dior, son of Luthien of Doriath. I have seen three ages in the west of the world, and many defeats, and many fruitless victories. I was a herald of Gilgalad and marched with his host. I was at the battle of Dagorlad before the Black Gate of Mordor when we had the mastery. For the spear of Gilgalad and the sword of Elendil, Aegilos and Narsil, none could withstand. I beheld the last combat on the slopes of Ordruin, where Gilgalad died and Elendil fell, and Narsil broke beneath him. But Sauron himself was overthrown, and Isildur cut the ring from his hand with the hilt shard of his father's sword and took it for his own. So I want to mention that. So we talk about how old and how important Elrond is in this. He was descended directly from that Luthien character that we were talking about, who was sent to be like one of the like most beautiful and, and oldest elves in, in existence. So that is my mm-hmm. last and final takeaways of that last chapter. And I guess kind of let's go into some debates that we've got. I'll let you go ahead and start us off. Yeah, one thing I do want to say, though, speaking of debates, that passage you read about Tom Bombadil really um, supports your point that we were talking about last week about how you brought up this small point uh, on your overall perspective that it could possibly be because he's within his own limits, like within that forest. And that could possibly be why. Like maybe he set his own limits like Elrond is talking about which is why he can't go like maybe his powers don't even work beyond that forest what do you think about that who knows man I, uh, that's i mean we, we kind of talked about that a lot at length last week and 
it's just I don't think we're ever gonna have a full answer to it. Like you know, it, it supports the theory that you know his powers of though the the magnitude of his powers may be only in, you know connected to that small area. I'm sure he still is someone who would hold power wherever he went, just maybe not to the extent of where he is in that specific land. Uh, but yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, and uh, okay, so I know we don't throw this great debate card much anymore because it doesn't really play <laughs> come into play it really even matter because you do the debates but this debate is a it's a debate that also involves another franchise harry potter here but with our own franchise here and we've had this debate before but given now some of the knowledge about magic we know about elves here that we've seen them how they've been used and we've seen gandalf come into contact with saruman who do you choose in a fight and why? Because I've actually come to take another perspective on this now that I've learned more. Would you choose Gandalf the Grey or would you choose Albus Dumbledore and why? Oh, gosh. I just feel like they use magic in, in different ways to where I don't know. Because even then, it when Gandalf... This is one thing the movie did differently, talking about the... the Fellowship of the Ring movie, uh, it showed like a battle between Saruman and Gandalf. Where in the novel, mm-hmm. when Gandalf went through his recap, he didn't say that they had like a power struggle. He just said Sauron took him up to the top and left him there. So it's like, like I don't, I you know, I've never seen Gandalf in the hand-to-hand combat before. I mean, obviously we get that thing where he turned the trolls to stone, but that's like one small sample piece. You know, we see Dumbledore do some of the greatest magic uh, of the books. You know, he's long you know, regarded as the greatest wizard of all time in the Harry Potter universe. So it's very much difficult to have an answer to this. Uh, yeah, I don't know, dude. Uh, I, I, I don't know enough about what Gandalf's able to do, especially when it comes to combat. And you know, I'm, I'm even thinking ahead, he has he has a quite a tussle uh, coming up ahead of him <laughs> in this novel. And you know, not doesn't necessarily come off uh, in the better. You know, you don't think it comes off in the worse either. It's kind of like a stalemate type of deal. <laughs> but I just, I don't really know, dude. Uh, I guess if you're gonna put my feet to the fire and say you gotta take one in a, in a battle to the death, I probably probably take Dumbledore just because I've seen him, what he's able to do and and explain in in literature exactly what his abilities are and his power and how there's not much that could rival him and you know here in this series and franchise like Gandalf's not even the strongest wizard of his own council that's that's Saruman and um, you know he just sat Gandalf at the top and said you're gonna stay here man <laughs> like I don't I don't really know I guess like I said the only thing that we really seen and we didn't really see it it was actually talked about from a previous work was him turning the trolls of stone and the, like when he saved the hobbits and and the dwarves i'm sorry bilbo and the dwarves uh back then so yeah i don't know i guess in a fight to the death who's got better magic and who can use it against the other in a way that makes the other guy fall i guess i'm gonna go dumbledore man (laughs) i don't like that question i hate that question but that's that's my thought process behind it it is a it is a tough one because it it's almost like we don't know enough about Gandalf. But this is where I've taken another perspective. And originally, this is a tough pill to swallow for me because if anyone knows me, just like Jay Nelly knows me, like I'm the biggest Harry Potter fan in the world. 
But I've had to take a step back, and I've done a lot of research, and actually a lot of Harry Potter fans are picking Gandalf in this situation. And there's a few reasons for this. A lot of it has to go into... So, like, Gandalf, a lot of people don't know, is actually part of, like, the Maya and, like, his age, which I know Albus is very old, too, but he's almost, like, in the age of, like, Aragorn is. But you can almost say, like, Gandalf has been there much longer. But... My argument for this is, yes, like, you can think hand-to-hand combat, and we've seen how Gandalf has turned um, those trolls into stone based on The Hobbit, and this isn't even bringing up, which happens, like, much later. We don't want to give anything away. But my argument is, is based on the chapter we read today, Flight to the Ford, you can almost, if Gandalf is, which this brings up another debate, like, on what level technically is Gandalf? Because people are looking at Gandalf like he's over, like he's more powerful than, like, Glorfindel and some of these elves. Glorfindel isn't even having to use a wand, and he's able to conjure magic and turn these water into horses. Like, my favorite battle in all of Harry Potter is the battle at the Ministry, without which we know we I covered on this show, was Alvis and going after Voldemort, you know, two really the greatest wizards of all time. And Albus was struggling his ass off on that. He did that little water thing. <laughs> and you got Glorvindel over here conjuring some fucking horses out of a waterfall. Like, holy shit, man. Like, my argument is Glorvindel could be Albus's ass at this point, man. Like, it makes me wonder. It makes me wonder. So clearly, like, it's a tough pill for me to swallow, but it makes me wonder if if Gandalf, given, like, we just don't know as much about him, like, it's really no comparison, almost like he's an angel or something in a way, whereas in the magical bloodline in Harry Potter, they, you have to have that magic in your bloodline and they kind of manipulate, uh, I guess you want to say, like, manipulate magic around them versus now you're even talking about like saving people in spiritual realms as far as like the Nazgul goes and Glorfindel was like fighting like one side of the spirit line to the other so it's just an interesting question I mean I hate that you know I always bring that up like different franchises and stuff because they really can't be compared and they're both fantastic in their own way and my heart wants to go with Albus Dumbledore because I, I love Albus. He's the man. But, like, it's like, how can you, like, compete with that if you can't even beat an elf? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Do you think you could beat Glorfindel? And then I'll end this debate and send it to you. Uh, here's the thing. It's like, you. I think you are confusing the, the Harry Potter film with the novel because Albus Dumbledore, there was many parts in that in that battle with Lord Voldemort, he's like he flicked his wrist with ease. Like he'd had no problem. Well, battling yeah, I remember Gold. that. Yeah, and yeah. In the in the, the in the movie and all that. Yeah, in the movie he had a tough time, and it was like he was struggling. But like the movie, we already to kind of toss out there. We don't like the Harry Potter movies, and you know, we've kind of said that many times. But in the novel, it was like he was very yeah. very calm, talking shit to Tom the whole way, like just saying, "Oh, Tom, you know, <laughs> you know." And he was having a good old time. And the only time he ever got worried is when he attacked Harry, who was like on the side in his mind, and he's like, "Shit, I don't know what to." do now like yeah. you know what i mean but like in terms of like the actual spell abilities between the two like they're very evenly matched and it wasn't like 
Yeah, honestly, I think that Voldemort had to resort to attacking Harry because he couldn't get past Dumbledore. He's like, shit, he's got me. So I gotta do. I gotta yeah. pull. I gotta pull a fast one. And get in Harry's head real quick. Um, so yeah, I will say that I still like. I, I don't know. Um, you know, you, you got because like. Basically, what you're trying to do is what we call like MMA math. Like, oh, because this guy could beat right. this guy, that means this guy might be able to beat this guy. Like, it's just different because, like, the, the elves they're blessed with like immortality, and they've got like they're just different species of creature, and so and they are more warrior like. But we don't really see like warrior wizards, you know. That like right. that's the right. whole thing. And and the one part I want to bring up is something that we're gonna cover here pretty soon, and and I can't. But we see Gandalf in a battle yeah. against something very like that's pretty crazy. And like I said, you don't really, you know, we don't really get a, a resolution that really kind of convinces me that Gandalf can do like single combat to the level of you know a, a duelist. Uh, uh, you know, I don't know. I think I think maybe if you're gonna ask me who has more power in terms of ability to like uh, manipulate. The, the world at large, I'd probably say Gandalf, but you asked me specifically who would win in a duel or a fight between the two. And those are vastly different things. You know, so I would agree that Gandalf probably has more overall power to, like, you know, influence the world and can manipulate, like, certain things at a, at a higher level and his, like, you know, him being around so long and the knowledge he has and, you know, and you can't even say he's that, that smart. He got trapped by Saruman and got sat up on the tower for a couple <laughs> weeks. But, like, like, I'm not saying, like, he obviously has a lot of knowledge too, but you know, if I if you want to put it that way and say like who has you know more power, probably Gandalf. But if you ask me who like would win in a single you know, duel one on one magic fight, probably gonna go Dumbledore. I mean, yeah, it's it's tough to debate. I mean, it's it's that's the problem. It's two separate franchises, but it's just an interesting topic because people always want to think like the two wizards are very similar just based on beards and. You know, they both like pointed hats, right? <laughs> so, so yeah, it's just an interesting one. So that was just more of like a, a fun one. Like there's nothing really serious there. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that's my debate for today. It was just really more fun than anything. So what's yours, man? My debate is, uh, it, let's say that with that knife that he that Frodo was stabbed with, let's say it, it killed him. Or at least I brought him to like the shadow realm and became a wraith. Do you think that at that point in time, the ring goes directly to the Black Riders and they take it back to Mordor, or do you think like the surrounding people that were there, like you know Strider or at that point Glorfindel, they they get to it in time and they have to have someone else take the ring and they drive away the Black Riders. Uh, and now we've got like, a whole new situation. I'm talking about, like, let's say Frodo kicks the bucket. He's gone. He's got the, you know, he was a ring bearer, but now the ring bearer is dead. They're, like, do we think that at that point, because he would have came a wraith, he would just handed it over to the Black Riders and they would have fled and they wouldn't have been able to get, the, you know, track them with just, you know, them being Glorfindel and Strider? Or do we think that uh, they would have been able to fend them off and somehow still get the ring? to Rivendell because it was right in the ford right the Rivendell was right there you know who knows during that battle maybe they could have sent more elves and stuff to pursue the black riders if they got their hands on the ring like what do you think would have happened if frodo would have died and or or became a shadow of himself and you know the the ring gets to the black riders what do you think happens i mean i guess you can i mean who really knows i mean you can 
argue maybe like Aragorn would be able to fight the others off because he fought the others off like you would think he could take on Frodo but because he has the one ring to rule them all and the way he's been able to escape my argument would be is it'd be no contest like the the game's over at that point because if Frodo becomes a wraith he could just put the ring on and go straight back to Mount Doom <laughs> like Sauron, uh, Sauron's tower, and the world's over. Burn down some trees and shit. <laughs> like I mean, here we go. Like that's basically it. Like that's the only thing I could say because people are forgetting. You know, you put the ring on, you disappear. So who's to say he wouldn't just pass straight into the spiritual realm? And then there's no one there but Aragorn and and Merry and Pippin and Sam. Merry and Pippin and Sam are gonna do shit. There's only one person that was gonna save the day in that situation. Gandalf wasn't there. <laughs> like, there's only well, one person well, that would save the day. Glorfindel was there too. Like, well, Glorfindel, yeah. I was sorry. I was thinking. Um, well, I was. I'm thinking specifically the situation of when he got stabbed. Oh, sorry. You're yeah, saying. no. I was thinking like overall. Like, let's say you died on the journey. Like, whatever. Like, ha- like whatever happened. Like, you know. Oh, you, okay. Like, sorry. Yeah. I thought you meant like if he got stabbed in the heart and like died instantly or something. Or, yeah. Or something no. Like let's that. just say like it ended up getting to the point where like he they were too late. They got to Rivendell too late, and he ended up like crossing over. Like, uh, given who Glorfindel is, and here's the thing about Glorfindel is. It even described in the book a little bit like wraiths actually fear Glorfindel because he's such a one of the older uh, kings that is so well respected uh, with his ability magical abilities um, but I still don't think he has a shot like it, it's like I think the only even because my argument is even as we've learned in this book Elrond didn't even have a shot like when a sealed door like had the chance to throw it in there and Elrond didn't even stop a sealed door and he didn't even use the ring so what's to say Frodo becoming a wraith like you're combining a wraith that can pass into the spiritual realm and it's even you even though you have two probably of the two probably arguably in my opinion one one of the greatest warriors of men one of the greatest warriors of elves right there and yeah they could probably kick every wraith's ass there but it's one key element here it's like bringing tom brady into a football game like sorry your quarterback's fucking tom brady like you have the one ring that's gonna fuck shit up dude like (laughs) you're done you're done this is game this is game you're bringing aaron Rodgers into a high school football game like you're done like it's not happening man that's my thoughts as much as i would want the good guys to come out winning in that situation like it, it i don't care if every single other wraith there would be dead frodo would not be because he could use that ring and just flee and escape honestly like using the ring's power like he probably could have killed Glora Fendel and and Aragorn like just using the ring's power and becoming a wraith having the power of that so uh, I would say it's a no comparison check and mate that is the game have a good life <laughs> like the world's over the only one that survived was tommy bombadilio <laughs> what about you so i'm actually gonna play like the opposite side of the spectrum here and i think that they could get the ring back 
The only problem is, is like they gotta have someone who could hold it, and we obviously know that Aragorn doesn't want to be tempted by the ring by future things. We know that. Uh, you know, I'm sure the elves don't want to be tempted by the ring either. But here's my thing. Like, yes, Frodo could grab the the ring and put it on and disappear. But I think one thing that you might have overlooked is that remember when he put the ring on in front of the Black Riders? They could still see him, and they stabbed his ass, right? Now, can't think of, keep true. in mind, who else can go back and forth between the realms there, right? Glorfindel can also go in between, like, the two things. So he might be able to see Frodo when he has the ring on. And we know that certain people do have the ability to see Frodo when he has the ring on. Like Tom Bombadil, like you just mentioned, was able to see Frodo when he had the ring on. So it's like, you know, if we could get the right group of people around. And like I said, Rivendell is right there full of some of the, the, the last remaining great elves of, of Middle-earth. Uh, if we can get, you know, get a call for help, you know, do a little uh, search party and get the people who would be able to, to track him and be able to find him. Because keep in mind, just because you're invisible doesn't mean you don't leave tracks. And Strider is a ranger and he can follow tracks very, very well. Uh, so that's a big possibility. I think the biggest challenge would be like once they, they you know, get that ring back from Frodo, like who holds it then? Like do we give it to Sam? Do we give it to Mary Pippin? Like who is going to be the next you know, carrier of the ring now that they, they have it there? So that, I think that's the biggest thing. But I definitely think that they could get that bad boy back and uh, try to figure something out. Biggest question then is, like, who takes the ring, the Mordor, who who becomes the next ring bearer, so to speak. And that is the, the bigger question I think that I would have. But I definitely think that the game would not be over. They still have a shot at it. It would they would look bad for a little bit. But, like, number one, Frodo doesn't know where the hell Mordor is. But we got to think the ring probably calls to it. So he probably would have, like, a general direction of where he thinks he needed to go. You still gotta his little tiny legs, gotta outrun uh, all these big, uh, the tall people like uh, the the men and the elves, and they got horses. And you know, if, if there's an invisible guy on a horse, I think you know where he's going because the horse ain't gonna be invisible, right? So, like, <laughs> so you know, you're gonna, like, he's gonna be trackable. He's gonna be able to be found. And uh, unfortunately, they have to take take him out. Uh, that's the thing. Like, it's hard to kill the Black Riders. I don't think there's much that like, it says men can't even kill them. So I guess they'd have to use some fire to like at least make them flee. And then focus on finding Frodo, and then at that point trying to get that 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 ring from him in, in that sense. And so, I'll say that there's still the possibility. It looks it would look bad. It would be very scary. Um, but I think that they could do it. He's got some big feet, though. <laughs> you forgot he's got some big ass feet. But uh, I will say, yeah, I I am tending to side with you on that. My only thought would be i could i could very well see that happening so i'm actually tending to start to side with you so the issue is i think you would have another issue of just like how it took all these years to get the ring back to like bilbo to someone that it's formidable to actually fight against to destroy the ring i think you would basically have almost like another age like you would be coming into another age here like how you had like the third age fourth age all this stuff going on you basically have another age just to even get the ring back and then you have to start the journey again so i think it would take a long time but i guess i am tending to side with you on that i agree i I don't think the game would exactly be over but definitely wouldn't look good (laughs) it would not look good but yeah man none uh that's that's good stuff man that was a great point you want to close this out today or any other remarks you got no i think that i think that does it i thought that was a good fun one we got to learn a lot of backstory about a lot of characters we got to kind of see where the 
the novel is going from here. This is a good tipping point, like the halfway point of this novel here, realizing that ring is now going south. And you know, next week what we're going to cover is going to be the differences between the film and the novel part one that we just finished up. And so we're going to see what, what, what looks good, like what looks bad, you know, some of the great differences. Some things maybe the movie did better, some things maybe the novel did better. And we're just going to do one of our good old comparisons. And uh, yeah, then we'll jump back in after that, the week after that, to, to finish up uh, the next couple uh, chapters of that bad boy. I think they got two more episodes past the uh, differences one to close out Fellowship before we do the movie differences part two of fellowship with that so i mean we still got a long ways to go guys so keep, keep sticking along this journey with us there's still a lot of fun to be had uh you know if you this is your first time joining us thank you guys so much we hope you enjoy what you heard if you've been here since the beginning you know we always appreciate the continued support if you guys want to know where you can find us on social media you can find us on instagram at official ridiculous patronus on tiktok at ridiculous patronus you can find us on facebook at chase and josh factor fantasy Find us on Twitter, RP Factor Fantasy. Find us on Snapchat, RP Factor Fantasy. We've got our own website as well, ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. You can check out. We have a YouTube channel as well, uh, Ridiculous Patronus, that you can check out. We've got some cool things going on there. We've got our backup Instagram page, at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Same thing for TikTok backup is at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. And those are all the social sites that you can follow us on. And we really would hope that you would leave us a like, subscribe, review, and when it comes to those reviews, uh, one of the best places we get our reviews at is Apple Podcasts. And, you know, to kind of go into that a little bit, you know, if you want to find where we are in the podcast realm, number one, we're anywhere you can find your podcast. But let's say you're an iPhone user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Google Play, on Spotify, we're on iHeartRadio, we're on Audible, we're on Amazon Music, we're on Podbean, we're on Stitcher, we're on Acast, we're, uh, like I said, wherever you get your podcast, Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because you know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing Signing off. off.